Welcome to Canadian Defence Focus from CDR Radio, produced by Canadian Defence Review Magazine. This series of podcasts features interviews with leaders and experts in the defence industry, as well as reports and profiles on the very latest in defence technology. Good day, everyone. My name is Jody Atariwala, and I'm the Aviation Editor and Senior Staff Writer for Canadian Defence Review. I'm also a Naval Specialist, which is why I'm very happy to introduce my guest today, Mr. Kevin Mooney, the President of Irving Shipbuilding. Mr. Mooney joined Irving Shipbuilding in August 2020 as Chief Operating Officer, and he was named President in February 2021. Uh, so, without further ado, Mr. Mooney, thank you so much for joining me on CDR Radio. It's my pleasure to be with you here, Jody. Thank you so much, sir. So, you are fairly new to Irving. So, if you would, please kindly share a bit about your past and how your previous positions have prepared you for your current position as president of Irving Shipbuilding. Well, I spent my entire career in the maritime industry, uh, over 35 years at this point. I was a U.S. Navy officer for 20 years. And when I retired from the Navy in 2006, I started at NASCO Shipyard in San Diego, held various positions there, executive roles in program management, in supply chain management, but also in operations. So I ran the entire shipyard of over 2,000 workers for several years. And during my time there, um, we delivered over 40 ships, eight different shipbuilding programs to both government and commercial customers. So pretty pretty wide base of experience between my operational time and my and my shipyard time. Yeah, I think that's awesome because not only do you know what it's like to be on the consumer side of it, but also on the on the industry side, delivering to uh, to the operator to the navy. I think that's uh, that's a kind of a great perspective that you would have on both ends for sure. So how do you compare the Irving Shipyard to other shipyards you've worked at? Uh, you just mentioned NASCO. First of all, I mentioned, I think I mentioned that NASCO was in San Diego. So as you can imagine, the weather in San Diego is quite a bit different than the weather we have here at, at Halifax for the Irving shipyard. Right. <laughs> so um, <laughs> frankly, I'm not, I'm, I'm really not joking about that. I mean, because of that, um, when the shipyard was reconstituted, you know, about six, seven years ago, a large indoor facility was built here, which is a great modern facility. And it allows for climate controlled uh, construction process, which is excellent. And, and that could even be a challenge at times in San Diego, because although it might seem to seem to some people it's sunny there all the time, it, it's actually not. Uh, the, the, there are some bad weather days. With the reconstituted shipyard, it gave Irving the chance to you know, purchase new equipment really across the board from steel fabrication to erection and 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 all of those items so it's it's great to be working in a shipyard that is that is fully modernized really across the board so in terms of the the core capability of the shipyard Irving compares quite favorably to both the shipyard I came from and to really just about every other shipyard in in North America. Now the um, waterfront is a bit constrained in terms of its space. And there are options we're looking at to increase that available space and and throughput over time. But we can get to that later in the conversation. Sure. No, that sounds great. And I think in the context of, of this conversation, it would be good for me to ask now, you know, what is your assessment of the NSS program in comparison to other major shipbuilding programs that you've been involved with? Like any shipbuilding program, I mean, there, there are challenges and, and there also are, are, are great successes. 
Uh, I don't think it's it's unusual for um, a newly reconstituted shipyard building the first ship of a class to to face challenges. Uh, modern shipyards, even today, the, the shipyard that I worked at, and we we, we tackled numerous first of class ships, and sometimes they went well, and and sometimes they faced significant challenges, cost overruns, and and delays. And I think if you look at shipyard programs around the world, you'll 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 see that going on. The good news is is that we are learning. At the shipyard, we are improving our performance on a on a daily basis. We're seeing a reduction in man hours from ship to ship. Our learning curve is aggressive in that regard, and so so from that perspective, I I think we compare quite favorably. And I don't view any of the outcomes of the NSS to be you know particularly alarming or or, or different um, compared to what you would see in any other country trying to to do what Canada is doing. I can't help but concur with that. I think that every program has ups and downs. So, yeah, that makes total sense. So you just mentioned the footprint uh, in Halifax. And so it's a great, great segue to ask about the capacity limits at the shipyard. And I ask this because you're concurrently building new ships and you're also doing maintenance work on the Halifax class. So how do you resolve doing the two, you know, with the footprint that you have? In terms of the actual footprint of the shipyard, there is almost zero conflict between what the repair organization needs and what the new construction part of the yard needs. Our graving dock is located in the south end of the yard, directly adjacent to the Navy base, which, by the way, is a great strategic position for us and a, and a great thing for Canada to have Irving Shipbuilding and the, and the dockyard right there next to each other. And, and the workers have you know, plenty of room down there for uh, all, all the work that, that, that they need to do. And then on the north part of the yard is, is devoted to AOPS. Uh, there's a lot of synergy to have both repair and new construction together in the same shipyard. And that's actually the way it was for the shipyard I was at in San Diego. Big Navy base near, there in San Diego, a lot of maintenance work to be done. We had our own dry dock, similar to how we have the graving dock here, as if it was a floating dry dock. And having that commonality uh, with the customer on both the build side and the maintenance and modernization side brings brings a lot of good goodness, I, I think, to the Canadian Navy. It's got to be beneficial to be close to, to the customer for sure. So I've had the opportunity to go aboard um, HMCS Harry DeWolf, the first AOPS ship. In comparison to other ships, other Navy ships that I've been on, it was beautiful. It was a lovely ship to, uh, to tour, lots of space. And I know that the captain at the time, Commander Corey Gleason, was extremely proud of the ship. And uh, we at CDR did a little feature when they when they came into Victoria uh, for the first time. So in terms of the AOPS, uh, what lessons has the shipyard learned from building the AOPS and also from feedback that you uh, have received from the Royal Canadian Navy? Well, first of all, let me just speak for a quick moment about Corey. I know a lot of your listeners are probably interested in, in Commander Gleason, and, and I, I think the Navy could not have picked a better uh, a better officer to be the, the first commanding officer of, of this class of ship. He's, he's done a fantastic job, and the ship's performance record speaks for itself under his leadership. So, so he's done really well. In terms of, of the lessons learned, I mean... <laughs> Jody, the, the 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 list is is a mile long. I mean, we 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 started the shipyard up, as you know, just a few years ago, and Irving Shipbuilding's history here in Halifax was only building the smaller ships. So now we're we're taking on the larger ships as well. 
there's two, in, in, in my opinion, there's two key fundamentals to success in shipbuilding. One is you have to have a good integrated plan. You need to be able to connect the design to the material to the workers so that on the deck plate, you got the right material, the right place, the right time with the right drawing and everything else to get productive. So of course, you know, we've had numerous, numerous lessons learned. We have a very active continuous improvement and and cost reduction program. So that's been something that we've been really happy to implement. and, And we're, and like I mentioned earlier, you know, we're seeing improvements day to day. Another thing that's absolutely critical to the performance of shipbuilding is what we call accuracy control or, or dimension control. We have a modular shipbuilding process uh, here at Irving, very similar to most shipyards around the world. And we've, we've seen great strides forward uh, in our ability to, to bring the ships together efficiently from both a steel and, and an outfit perspective. The steel being the hull and structure of the ship and the outfit being the material inside the ship, the pipe, the electrical cables, the foundations, all, all of those types of things. So as an example, when we brought the mega blocks together for AOPS 3 earlier this year, uh, when they rolled out of the building, we had the, the best ever accuracy control. So yeah, we, we, we are getting a lot better. Um, we're getting all the material installed in the right stage of construction now, uh, which, which is good. So material availability is good. The, the plan has been good. The sequence has been worked out. So we, 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 we've learned quite a bit. And although our overall uh, labor force productivity still needs to get better to, to get on a par with international um, shipyards, we, we now have the foundation uh, to build upon to do that. And, and like I said, we're seeing improvements all the time. Yeah, and I can't help but ask about um, supply chain issues. It, you know, it seems to be a buzzword these days you know, with COVID and and um, you know just the the global economy as it is right now. But are supply chain issues affecting your ability to build the ships with the efficiency that you would like? Um, a few things about the supply chain. Um, one is by the time the pandemic hit, we were you know in, in, into the third and and fourth ship construction. So the supply chain had been largely ironed out in terms of startup issues and things like that. So now it's just a matter of really getting the material here. So there were some shipment issues uh, for sure. And we saw, you know, costs rise significantly, um, which has been well, well publicized, you know, up to eight times higher to ship a container from from point A to point B. and, and, And that affected us. But we have a very risk averse approach to our supply chain processes here. What I like to say, we do just in case, we we don't do just in time. So we have uh, material buffers of of, several months of getting the material shipped to us. Uh, We have a good warehousing system here um, in Halifax. So for the most part, the most part, we've we have not been disrupted, but there have been pockets of it uh, here or there where production has been delayed or getting, Technicians and, and vendor representatives in from foreign countries has been has been challenging at times due to restrictions on people movement. But um, so from a cost perspective, it's hurt us. From an overall uh, efficiency perspective, it has not been a huge impact. Although although there has been some. Sure. Well, it's good to hear it hasn't it hasn't impacted you too much. So once you deliver a ship, obviously, like anything, any complex piece of you know equipment, machinery, um, you know, a, a platform uh, like an AOPS, um, there's always things that you need to rectify, fix, etc. And um, so, 
in that context, how are warranty issues executed when the Canadian Navy, for example, identifies uh, fixes or deficiencies, you know, in ships like the Harry DeWolf or, or its sister ships? Let me tell you, Jody, we have an excellent relationship with the Canadian Navy. And as Irving Shipbuilding, we stand behind our product. And where it's our responsibility to fix things, we we absolutely you know carry out our our responsibilities to to keep the ship fixed and and operational. And again, I think the fact that Harry DeWolf has been able to stay at sea and uh, accomplish all the missions uh, that that's been placed in front of that ship over the last year and a half since delivery, I think the results speak for itself. Now, the first ship had an 18-month warranty, and and the uh, and the follow-on ships have a 12-month warranty. So, uh, the Canadian Navy um, bought themselves a six months extra of support. But, you know, Jody, like I said, we stand behind our product, and 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 we'll always be there for the Canadian Navy. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I agree with you. I just have to reiterate that, um, you know, having met uh, Commander Gleason, I, I think what they have done, him, him and his crew along with the ship that you guys built, um, it does speak for yourself. The circumnavigation of North America was, was an awesome, uh, awesome achievement. And uh, yeah, I think they knocked it out of the park. So with regards to AOPS, um, clarify for me again, if you don't mind, Mr. Mooney, um, how many AOPS are being built for the Navy? And then how has that AOPS uh, build influenced the variant that will be constructed for the Canadian Coast Guard? Right. So um, we're under contract to build uh, six AOPS for the Navy, and we're in the process right now of negotiating with the Coast Guard to build uh, the two additional ships. The Coast Guard has gone through a requirements reconciliation and design review process to to set the requirements of the the Coast Guard variant. And, And we are just about through that now, a significant effort over the last year and a half or so uh, to get where we are now. In terms of what are the differences between the ships, you know, the the core ship is is fundamentally the same, you know, same hull form, same uh, propulsion system. Um, In in general, uh, below the main deck, same layout of of the ship. There, There are some differences that are necessary due to the Um, needs of the customer. But from an overall ship performance standpoint, in terms of speed and stability and and some of those big things, there is virtually zero risk. Uh, So that's that's a good thing. And that was one of the reasons why um, uh, the Coast Guard decided to and and will ultimately get under contract, but, you know, to, to, to go with the ship. Now, that being said, uh, they have a science mission and, and, and they have, you know, different communication requirements and different habitability requirements. So, uh, so yes, we've had to make some some modifications to the ship, but uh, there those those modifications are are manageable, and and none of them represent a need for uh, new capabilities in the shipyard. For instance, they'll just be in they'll they'll be done for the first time on none of the core like trade capabilities or, or things like that will 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 change, just the layout and things and things like that. So I, I don't I don't see any risk from from that perspective. Just the the learning that comes with uh, building a new design in in the areas of the ship that have changed. Sure, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So as you go through the AOPS build and you go into the the into the build of the the Coast Guard variants, what changes will the shipyard need to go through when transitioning and retooling from the AOPS uh, to building the CSE, the Canadian Surface Combatant? 
in terms of transitioning between AOPS Navy ship and the AOPS, AOPS Coast Guard ship, there are no, no changes needed in terms of transitioning from the AOPS to the Canadian service combatant. Um, there are a series of changes that, that are needed. The, the largest and, and most visible one, the folks that would be looking at this from the outside would be, how are we gonna launch the, the CSC? Right now, for AOPS, we have a, a barge that we use that, that, that we rent. That barge is not uh, big enough for the CSC. So we have a proposal to modify our facility, and we're working on that with Canada. Uh, in all likelihood, we'll go with, uh, with a ship lift capability, which is actually um, overall a, a good value proposition for Canada because it will also be available for repair because our graving dock where we currently do maintenance on the Halifax class frigates does not have the capacity for a CSC ship either. So, um, so we're, we're, we're excited to, to upgrade the, the shipyard in that area for, for CSC. Um, now the Canadian Navy wants, wants the CSCs to be built at a, at, at a good enough clip to replace the Halifax class frigates where we ultimately are looking to get to a build rate of, of every 18 months uh, a new CSC comes out. That doesn't come until several ships down the line. The first few ships will will take a little bit longer as we learn. But um, so in, in order to in increase the capacity of the shipyard, well, we'll have to add a one land level position. So we're currently using one, one land level position. So we're looking at adding another land level position for that. And then numerous other areas of the shipyard, as well as um, some of our support facilities over in Woodside and Dartmouth will be expanded as well. But all, all this is, again, not surprising, not out of the ordinary at all. You go to really any shipyard, and I'll, I'll give you an example, electric boat shipyard in, in Connecticut. They're kicking off the Columbia class program, and they're doing almost $2 billion of investment in their facility to account for, for this new ship that's being built alongside the Virginia class submarines. So the uh, Fincantieri has a shipyard in um, Wisconsin called Marinette Shipyard, and they're going to build the FFGs, and and they're upgrading their their shipyard to do it. So it's very it's very normal that when you transition from one class of ship into a larger, more complex class of ship, that you make modifications to the to the shipyard. There's there's a ton of other different things, Jody, I could tell you about, such as thin plate steel and other you know machining capabilities and things things like that 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 we're going to need but the bottom line is there are capability and capacity enhancements that are needed to the yard and then of course we want to reduce the risk we want to be able to get these ships out um, reliably to the to the Canadian Navy they contain a complex combat system and we want to get that turned over as rapidly as possible as well so I'm I'm excited that um, we're going to be upgrading the facility and we look forward to working with Canada uh, to make it a reality Awesome. So, you know, once you complete the build of the AOPS, do you anticipate any gap in shipbuilding between uh, the end of the AOPS and the beginning of CSC? No, I, 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 I don't see a gap right now. Uh, assuming we get AOPS 7 and 8, which I have every reason to believe we will, I speak to my customer counterparts on a regular basis. Um, you know, we're, we're putting the finishing touches on an integrated shipyard schedule. Uh, hopefully we can put COVID behind us. COVID has been a tough for the shipyard. It, it, I, I won't lie to you, Jody. It's been a, it's been a challenge, and it's caused us to to fall a bit behind schedule. But with you know all the you know puts and takes uh, that go into all of our various programs and our hiring and and increase of capability of the yard and everything else, uh, 
we, we feel we have a, a good schedule uh, going forward to do all eight AOPS and then transition smoothly into CSC. And so with regards to the CSC design, um, how confident are you that, that Irving can build the surface commands, which, which are arguably more complex than the AOPS? So I guess it really boils down just to the planning and the design, having a mature design to work from. And I think that just stands to reason. That's what you would do to, to efficiently build the, the CSE. Look, I'm, 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 I'm a shipbuilder. I'm going to be uh, risk averse by, by nature. We have a lot of things that we need to do uh, to, to, to get ready to do that. And we're going to work really hard. And we have all kinds of plans across the board from our manning to our production, to our uh, engineering, all, all, all those things. So I, I don't underestimate the challenge of building the CSC is what I'm trying to say. But I, I you know, Jody, I'm absolutely confident we can build it. You know, Ir- Irving Shipbuilding built the Halifax class frigates, you know, 30 years ago. And there probably was a lot of people at the time who said, well, you hadn't built ships for a while. You're not going to be able to do it. We can do this. We are partnered with BAE Shipyard. They're building the ship right now. They're working right alongside us. As soon as the Type 26 was selected for the Canadian service combatant, they sent folks over here, took a look at the shipyard. We've been working on and and, and, and our capabilities. So so working, we're working hand in hand with a world-class shipbuilder and and we will we we will get there. It it will be challenging, but we will get there and and Canada will will get these ships. Let's pull at that string a little bit. Um, so what lessons have you learned from BAE Systems and their build of the Type 26 and also from folks in Australia for their Hunter class, which, which is a common, uh, the Type 26 is a common design? The primary lessons learned that you know, we here in Canada will get from, from the Type 26 are, are straight from the design. And because they are building the ship uh, in advance uh, of, of us, all the issues and problems that they have on the design get get rolled over into into our part of the design. So so that happens uh, routinely. It's 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 part of the process. Now we also have the ability, of course, to put boots on the ground, get inside the shipyard, and and see the types of challenges they're facing uh, there as well. We have a, a joint arrangement between Canada, Australia, and and the UK that uh, we are sharing all of our lessons learned. And in some cases, when we're into some of the complex portions of the construction, like shaft installation and things like that, we're looking at setting up joint teams where we can share the resources back and forth um, so that the, you know, all the lessons learned and, and, and just that core capability to, to do some of these complex tasks occurs with people who are, you know, the same people will be doing it over and over again. And we'll continue to look for ways to you know, coordinate between us. But I have, I have good relationship with uh, Simon Lister, who runs BAE Shipyard, and Craig Lockhart, who's, who's down in Australia. Uh, we, we, we talk on a, on a regular basis. And um, one of the key components and, and one of the great things Canada did when they set this program up was to make sure that we were, we were teamed up with a, a good shipyard and that the, the ship that we were constructing, you know, there would be lessons learned from it already. And so we're going we're gonna to take full advantage of that. It makes a lot of sense that you would. So in context of, of actually uh, cutting steel for the first CSC, when is that planned for as it stands today in, uh, in late January uh, 2022? And uh, what is the planned, you spoke to it a bit earlier, but uh, what is the planned rate of build for those ships? Right. So uh, I, I expect we'll start construction on CSC in, in 2024. And then, like I mentioned earlier, the 
long-term build rate that we're aiming for is, is 18, every 18 months, um, we'll be on an 18 month cycle of, of building the ships. Now, it'll be more than 18 months between the delivery of ship one and ship two and ship two or ship three. So we'll, we'll eventually get there. We're, we're putting together a, a realistic and, and achievable construction program. So yeah, so that's, that's, that's how that's going to work. And do you anticipate that the build of the CSC will happen in flights like the U S has done with the, with the Arleigh Burke class? Given the, um, complexity of the technology that's on board and how technology will develop over time. I, I think it would be, I think it's almost inevitable that the first three ships, for instance, we're looking at for the first flight anyway, for, from a contracting standpoint, anyway, let's, let's clarify some terminology. You have batches and you have flights. And I, I believe the correct terminology is from a contracting standpoint, it's batches. And from a capability standpoint, technology standpoint, you would have flights. So right now, we're looking at a batch of three ships for the, the first part of the CSC program. And over time, I, I would expect perhaps by the second batch, I'm not sure, that technology will develop and we will insert greater technology in, in the later ships of the class. But let me tell you, Jody, that is not yet determined. But I think if you just look at past history, it seems very likely that that's, that, that, that will occur. Yeah, uh, fair enough. And thank you for that clarification, by the way. So it's actually a great segue to talk about the, uh, the selection of the radar for, for the CSC. Can you explain a bit about the decision to select the Lockheed Martin Spy 7 radar, which uh, to my knowledge thus far hasn't been integrated on a warship? Um, and by that, it, I mean, it, I, I don't believe it's been marinized yet, but I would love for you to just kind of unpack that for me a bit. I'll do my best. Um... I'm not a combat systems ex- expert. I'm a I'm a I'm a shipbuilder, and uh, and when I was in the U.S. Navy, I was a I was a submariner, and out at NASCO Shipyard, we built uh, we built auxiliary ships and commercial ships. But I'll 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 do my best here for you. So the selection of the combat systems is not something that's done by the shipyard. That's something done by by Canada. So it's really not my my position to explain why the Spy Seven was chosen. You know over other other different radars. Um, however, in terms of the capability of the radar, and you know, I think what you were getting at is how risky is it going to be, you know, to to put this radar that is not on an operational ship right now. Well, um, to my knowledge, uh, Lockheed Martin has contracts with both Japan and with Spain to marinize that radar, and they are ahead of Canada. So we will not be breaking ground or being the first ship. Uh, that, that will have the radar on it. Also with the spy technology, it is very scalable and Lockheed has experience, you know, scaling it up for, for different sizes of ships. So we, we expect that the experience we get um, or that they get from, or we as a total program get from the Spanish and the, and the Japanese programs will roll over quite nicely uh, in, into the, into the Canadian surface combatant. That's great. It's it's nice to know that uh, that those guys are are a little bit ahead of us to do a little bit of risk mitigation. So I'd like to now ask about jobs and training and apprenticeships programs, um, particularly in the context of a competitive market that we seem to be in right now. Um, it, what's the progress in all of those areas uh, at Irving um, to date, and and what's your forecast about uh, about jobs and employment and 
some of the the apprenticeship programs that you have underway. That's great, Jody. You you switched to my favorite topic, which is which is talking about the people, and we have we have we have great people in our shipyard, and and they're they are fully committed um, to this to this program. They're they're working hard. They're they're learning every day. They're get, they're getting better every day, and and the fact that Nova Scotia. Um, and other parts of Canada really have the opportunity for for folks to be employed, you know, through through this through this program. Really, for for decades, is is an opportunity we we have to take advantage of. And in in recent years, we we've done very well with with our um, apprentice programs here. I don't have all the stats directly in front of me, but um, I know, for instance, we we qualified. We have about 230 apprentices in the shipyard right now. I believe is the number, and and 50. Um, of the apprentices that we had over the course of last year became Red Seals. So those are people now, you know, Red Seals certified, we'll have that trade for life. Hopefully they stay in shipbuilding the whole time, but it's, it's, it's building a manufacturing base for Canada that's, that's going to last a long time. We have the ability to, to ramp that up. We have uh, relationships here with Nova Scotia Community College. Um, we have established pipelines to, to, to get people in. I'm confident we're going to be able to find the folks. Um, we're not just going to rely on, on, on the local folks. We'll, we'll mitigate the risk by continuing to search Canada for people that have the base trade capabilities, and then we'll bring them here and we'll, we'll teach them the shipbuilding side of it. So, so that's part of our hiring plan. And then, as needed, we will we will go overseas and, and we'll look to, to to bring people over uh, to emigrate to Canada, become Canadian citizens for the long term, uh, and help us build ships as well. And and we'll be looking for folks that have actual shipbuilding experience. So they they've come in a shipyard. So so those are good because they'll 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 hit the deck running here. So we have a, a multi pronged effort to to get the folks here. And and you know we 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 believe we can support our requirements. So what are those requirements? You asked me, how many, how many folks are we going to be bringing in here? So over the next five years, we're looking at hiring about 800 trades and about 500 staff. And over the course of next year, we'll be hiring over, over 200 each of those. Um, the, those numbers might might seem a little bit high, but just keep in mind, we have to you know keep pace with um, with attrition and retirements and all, all of those types of things as well. It is a challenging profession. Not everybody that signs up uh, sticks with it, but uh, we certainly do our best to establish a good working environment here to provide, you know, long, long-term jobs and, and careers for our people. So, so yeah, that's, that, I think that's one of the things that's, you know, been a real positive impact here in, in the shipyard, the, the team that we're building, that's going to stand the test of time. It sounds like it, and uh, and exciting times, and and certainly opportunities, which I think is part of what the national shipbuilding uh, strategy was meant to do. And in that context of the national shipbuilding strategy, Irving has the combat ship work package. So, what metrics can you put in terms of the economic benefit with regards to NSS thus far? If I told you just Kevin Mooney's view of the economic benefit, you might you might not trust me. So let me tell you what the uh, let, let me tell you what the Conference Board of Canada said. So you have a, a third third party uh, independent view of that. So sure. you know, over over uh, 2013 to 2024, there's a projected 9.8 billion dollar uh, GDP plus up because of the NSS Combat Program, and then 6.2 billion dollars in wages. So, so that's that's fantastic. You know, 
and, and any of your listeners can go to that report and, and there's, there's a lot more in there than that. And of course, you know, part of our, part of our commitment through the national shipbuilding strategy is to um, take a portion of our revenue and, and, and pump it back into the local economy. That's um, our ITB and, and value proposition commitments. And, and, and we've done well with that. We're, we're, we're proud of our involvement and, and we, uh, for instance, we, we support Cove, which is a, um, innovative center here right on the waterfront in Halifax for, for companies to develop new, new technologies and, and, and th- that don't currently exist. And, 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 and they're doing a great job with that. And there's, there's numerous other examples. Um, a lot of it is focused on, of course, developing jobs and, and capabilities uh, for the future of Canada. So, yeah, there's, I, I could throw more numbers at you, but those are the, those are the biggies, Jody. Yeah. Those are good numbers for sure. So what can we now expect at Irving Shipyards in 2022, you know, for the for the year ahead, uh, what are some of the, the the big things that you guys are looking to do? Well, we got a really big year in front of us. I had already mentioned the hiring that's going to take place of both trades and staff. The best way to handle this is probably to step through each one of our programs. And, and as you know, I think we've talked a little bit about all all of them since we've been here. We have three main three main pillars of our business. We have the AOPS, we have CSC, and we have repair. So let's let's start with AOPS. We launched AOPS three last October, and we will deliver that ship, um, God willing, in the third quarter of this year. Hopefully, COVID can relax and really let us um, hit our stride. I think we are hitting our stride a bit. We got you know ship one delivered in 2020, ship two delivered in 2021. Now we we'll get ship ship three delivered in 2022, and hopefully get on that drumbeat of one one AOPS a year, and, and and maybe even more as we as we really get things going. Um, so that's 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 where we are with AOPS. And then for the subsequent ships, you know, AOPS four and five, you know, you'll you'll see mega blocks rolling out of the building and all those all those good things. And uh, uh, so yeah, so so that's that's AOPS. Um, the Canadian Service Combatant, that's that's moving along. We're we're in the in the middle of the preliminary design review process right now. So between um, ISI and BAE, Lockheed Martin, and Canada. We're 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 scrubbing the design, uh, and the goal, of course, is to lock lock down the the technical baseline of the ship, so that BAE can can begin the functional design and and then transition into the detailed design for the ship. So that is that is on, on ongoing right now. And then, like I mentioned earlier, the start of construction of the lead ship, 2024. And then on on the repair side, uh, we do have. Uh, a Canadian Halifax class frigate in the dock right now, HMCS Ville de Quebec. Uh, she'll undock later this year. And after her, we will transition over and we'll do uh, that HMCS Halifax. And it's good work for us. You know, it's good to have, you know, we didn't get into much detail on this earlier, but it's good for a shipyard to have both new construction and, and repair in the same shipyard. Because as you can imagine, we have peaks and valleys and when different trades are needed and having both in the yard at the same time um, allows you to use the the programs to, to complement each other and maintain level level workload manning uh, throughout the year here and uh, so yeah so those so those are those are the highlights uh, so lots lots going on between the people and the programs absolutely and with regards to that detailed design um, would you expect that to be uh, formalized or finalized I don't know what the proper terminology is for that. Well, uh, Jody, there's 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 a there's a design 
process that 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 you go through. But the technical baseline that that we need to establish um, to move this ship forward, and then and then to test it against you know all the design standards and, and naval architecture standards that that we need, uh, that that will occur in, into the middle and, and second part of this year. Uh, after that, BAE can get into the nitty gritty and and start you know locking things down and transferring the information over to us so we can start start the plan to build the ship. There's a, a buzzword out there these days, uh, Mr. Mooney, uh, and that is digital twin. Is there any type of digital twin aspect to the CSC that uh, that you guys are doing, or is that would that be more something that BAE Systems might do? No, the, the BAE transfers the design information over to us, and you know we have an integrated data environment that 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 we work uh, together in. So, so yes. I have to ask this only because I think it, it, it's worthwhile to ask, and that is, uh, have you guys investigated any export options for any of the ships that you're building under NSS? Right. So let's 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 talk about the. <laughs> you asked me a question earlier about the the capacity of the shipyard, and and right now I can tell you that all of our capacity on the new construction side is consumed by building the AOPS and then by building the the CSC. At least for the at least for the foreseeable future, but in terms of export, the AOPS ship is a it, it, it's you 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 mentioned it yourself. You, you walked on board the ship. It's a great ship. You know we saw what you know Commander Gleason was able to do on, on the ship's first deployment. It's got a lot of capability. So there is promise you know for us to probably export that that design and market it to other countries that have an interest in operating in in Arctic or Antarctic type regions. So I I, I think there's there's potential for that. Um, we responded to an RFP last year um, related that that New Zealand had put out an RFP being a request for proposal for 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 designs and uh, so we we sent some information down to them about the AOPS ship that was in coordination with Canada and all that so you know that's probably the uh, the best we can hope for in in the near term anyway is to share some of our program management and 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 design data and and, and expertise and see if there's any interest i can tell you though jody my my focus is on 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 building these ships for canada right now and and the economic benefit of exporting the design and 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 some of those things would 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 be great but i i i got to focus on our on our developing our shipbuilding capability yeah, the, uh, well, that makes a lot of sense. And as we conclude, um, Mr. Mooney, I, I guess I just the last thing I, I would like to ask is, is there anything moving forward that gives you pause or concern for the future of the NSS program? I think I made reference to this earlier. If, if, if I wasn't, you know, conservative and, and, and risk averse about about how, how we approach this major program, maybe the biggest defense program in, in, in the history of Canada, I probably wouldn't be the right guy for the job. So I, I, I take the challenges that are in front of us very seriously. But at the same time, you know, we're, we're building a good team here. We have good partners in BAE and Lockheed Martin, very experienced. We have a good partner in Canada. We, we work together well as, as a team. And, and I believe this program will, will be executed and Canada is going to get some, some great ships out of it on the end. Well, Mr. Mooney, I, I greatly appreciate your time. It's been a fun conversation. I've, I've learned some stuff and I hope our listeners have as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to be my guest today. It's been a great pleasure to chat with you. Yeah, it, it's been my pleasure as well. Very, very nice to meet you, Jody. And, and I, ho- I hope your listeners are, are having a good winter. 
Right. I told you I'm from, I told you I'm from San Diego. I'm, I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> right. Exactly. I was just going to say, hopefully we can get some San Diego weather up our way, yeah. but <laughs> well, thank you again. So everybody, I'd like to thank again, Mr. Kevin Mooney for being my guest today. And I encourage our listeners to look for the next issue of Canadian Defense Review uh, in print or online. And you can find us at CanadianDefenseReview.com. Thanks, everybody. Hope you have a wonderful day. Tune in next time for another Canadian Defence Focus podcast from CDR Radio.